0: Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So, whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Uh, good morning again. Uh, turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 10 as we continue through. The study on the book of Romans Romans chapter 10 and let's just read our portion for today beginning in verse 1 brethren my heart's desire in prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you once again uh, for an opportunity for us to gather together in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for, uh, we thank you for this passage. Even just simply reading through this, we want to rejoice and give you honor and glory that the salvation you have offered to us is all of you. The provision, a hundred percent by you. Father, we're thankful for the gift of life that we can have through the person and work of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we consider uh, your word from this passage this morning, we do pray that you would speak uh, to each one here this morning. We pray in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, Romans chapter 10. these 13 verses anyways, uh, I kind of broke into these uh, three general points. The first one uh, is the first four verses, which is God's righteousness. The next four verses, uh, speaking of the righteousness of faith or out of faith. Um, And thirdly, we see that faith is exercised. So God's righteousness, the righteousness of faith and then faith being exercised. Now, the backdrop leading us up to this portion of scripture, of course, is where our brother Ben took us last week, the very conclusion of um, Romans chapter nine. And at the end he says, uh, well, within that whole section, talking about the Israelites still pursuing the law of righteousness, rather than contrast to the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they have attained righteousness, the righteousness of faith. And to this conclusion he gives that to this, it is a stumbling stone or a rock of offense to the Jews. And yet to whoever believes on him, they will not be put to shame. Uh, So this morning we had a wonderful time remembering the Lord Jesus during the Lord's Supper, did we not? And one of the key themes that came throughout the course of that meeting was how Jesus Christ, how God is the rock. We were reminded all throughout that his provision was out of the rock, that we see that that rock was the person of Jesus Christ. I don't remember if we looked at this this morning or if somebody alluded to it, but 1 Corinthians chapter one, I think it is, possibly chapter two, It still refers to him as a stumbling block, even as it is here. To the Jews, to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. The inability to see all that God had projected and planned. So this is what he is now continuing the thought. Now, the first thing that I want to look at here as we look at Romans chapter 10, beginning in verses 1 through 4, is Paul continues to show his heart toward his countrymen, the Jews. We saw this in Romans chapter nine in the first three verses. He says, I tell you the truth, I'm not lying, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. In the next chapter, Romans chapter 11, as Paul continues to unveil all of this, reveal this to them, he starts by saying, again, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. And starting here in chapter 10, you see a similar thought. My heart's desire and prayer To God for Israel is that they might be saved. One of the things that we can certainly rejoice in is the opportunity to be saved is not over, the door is not yet shut. Anyone who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved. So, Paul demonstrating this heart for the people that he knows and that he loves. And Paul himself will talk about uh, he himself, one full of zeal and can look back with and identify with all that the children of Israel are, because Paul was very much one of them. Like in the zeal and everything, which we'll talk about in a minute. uh, And you just see that in there. And his heart is for the children of Israel to come to the knowledge of the truth, which brings us to the next verse. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And again, Paul, uh, referring to himself in Philippians chapter 3, he said concerning zeal, he was persecuting the church. 100% completely uh, thinking that he was doing the will of God as he was doing that persecuting those of the way, not having received it for himself. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 14, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul can recognize The zeal that the children of Israel would have. And really, in many ways, just very practically speaking, you would hope that they would have a zeal for God and the things of God for all that they had experienced, everything up until that point. But the problem was their zeal was not with knowledge. It was without knowledge. What is zeal without knowledge? One word, if you can think of it right? What? First letter. (laughs) It starts with an F, the one I'm thinking of. Fanaticism. Okay, that's good. I was going to say foolishness. But we'll go both ways. You can be a fanatic in a foolish-hearted way, yes? Like this idea that you have zeal but without any measure of knowledge. You know people like that, like in whatever maybe line of work that you're working in, people are excited about something, but they don't see the end result. They haven't quite thought through all of the steps. Uh, and their zeal has gotten a hold of them. Uh, we think of Proverbs 19 and verse 2. It says, It is not good for a soul to be without knowledge, and he who sins who hastens with his feet. You've got this lack of knowledge, and yet you move forward anyways. And this is descriptive of the children of Israel. Uh, some would say zeal without knowledge is fire without light. You have the heat, but you don't even know what you're looking at because there is no illumination on the reality of the truth. And this is where the children of Israel are living. So then it goes on, for they are being ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness. So we'll focus, ignorant of God's righteousness. Now, technically they would not be ignorant of God's righteousness in the sense that they had the law. They had all of the communication that God had given to them for the purpose of instructing them about God's righteousness. That was the whole purpose of the law, was to reveal to them all of who God was and what his holy and righteous standard is. I've probably said this a thousand times from this platform, uh, but one of the things that I always come back to, and I might have in my message two weeks ago, I have no idea. It seems to be a pretty common theme for me. But I go back to Exodus 19, uh, when God says, Say all this to the children of Israel. If you obey my voice and keep my commandments, then you will be. And it gives all these promises, the kingdom of priests, holy nation, a peculiar people. This is the promise. And the children of Israel responded with, all that the Lord has said we will do. Like this is, they had no idea at that moment what all the Lord was going to say. They hadn't been given the law yet, that came in the next chapter. This was only setting themselves up for it. After the law and the statutes and ordinances given in the next three chapters, chapter 24, they write them all down in the book of Exodus and they write them down, they consecrate them with blood. Uh, the He reads them off to them. Now they know what it is, and what do the children of Israel again say? All that the Lord has said we will do. We think we can do this. That's the zeal. And yet it's the declaration of God's righteousness that should make all of us realize that as we look at the righteous expectation of who God is, all we could come down to is we can't do it. There is no way. On this side of eternity that I could ever do all that God commands I think you and I hopefully I'm not the only one you and I can even identify with the fact of having the Holy Spirit of God living in us to empower us to live a life of righteousness and yet we still don't do it perfectly we can Sound like we're just being critical of the children of Israel when we bring these things out, and perhaps Paul sounding like he's being critical, but let's be clear that this is just very much the nature of mankind. Who we are in Adam is to say that we can do this, and we can't. So when it says that they were ignorant of God's righteousness, it's not that they didn't know. They had the laws. They had the ordinances. They had everything given to them. As a matter of fact, we were reminded at the beginning of chapter 9 of saying that these were the covenantal people of promise, and they had all of these things given to them. The sacrifices, these offerings, these were not things simply to do to placate God. These were things that were being done in order to show them the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there would be an intent and purpose behind all of this. So the ignorance simply being that they didn't have their eyes open to the reality of the truth of what all of this was. And in that ignorance, very much common to man in our natural state we will always seek to establish our own righteousness, declaring ourselves to be right, according to whose standard? Our own. I mean, perhaps you and your spouse, if you're married, uh, or you children with your parents, uh, you guys never have disagreement uh, or any problems or conflict within your marriage. So you might not be able to relate to this, but I can speak to this from excellent example or pathetic example, depending on how you want to look at it. Typically, if there is disagreement between me and my wife or when my children were growing up between me and my children, Shona would, especially when it was a disagreement between me and my children, she would always want to remind me, "You, you need to care more about the relationship than being right. Do you care more about the relationship or do you care about being right? In other words, when we have conflict, what are we usually trying to prove to the other person? That we're right and they're wrong. Because we're establishing that according to our own definition of righteousness, not according to the definition that God has given to us through the declaration of himself in the law. So they seek to establish their own righteousness. And ultimately, as we look at this, the last part of that, it says they have not submitted themselves to God. They have not submitted themselves to God. Submission requires humility. The willingness to look at God and to place ourselves under Again, Paul said this in Romans chapter three, uh, there is no fear of God before their eyes because they wanted to establish the righteousness for themselves. Submission requires humility. The willingness to say, God, I can't do this. It is all by you, requires this humility. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes shame. So if we go back to how the verse ended in chapter 9 and talks about there is no shame when you, when you uh, have trusted in the rock, rather than viewing it as a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, there is no shame. When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 29.23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. And then Paul concludes this little section with verse four, for Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the end of the law. Now that doesn't mean that all of God's righteousness disappears when Christ came and died on the cross. If anything, his righteousness, God's righteousness is revealed in the law was only amplified Uh, The Lord Jesus speaking to the people and he said, it was written or it has been said to you, the man uh, who commits adultery, but I say to you that he who looks upon a woman with lust has committed adultery in his heart. The righteousness of God was amplified through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he was the complete fulfillment of all of the righteous obligations of the law. I ended this message two weeks ago talking about he is just and the justifier to those who believe in Jesus Christ. God was right because he poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ, and he was righteous because because he did that, excuse me, and he was the justifier or declaring those who believed to be just, the complete fulfillment of the law. So moving on, so we see the establishment of God's righteousness. It's not according to man's righteousness, not according to the righteousness that we pursue. And as, as Paul is uh, communicating this, it's as hard toward the children of Israel who were still attempting, striving toward righteousness according to their own definition uh, in alignment with God's law, but without the ability to see and recognize that there was no way that they could do it. So, secondly, we go to this next section in chapter 10 here, verses 5 through 8. And I'm not going to go through and read it all again right now. But he refers to this passage first for Moses, I'll, okay, I am going to read it, excuse me. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law the man who does those things shall live by them. So the first thing that Paul is communicating here is a reminder to them that if you think you're going to attempt to uh, fulfill all of the law, that you can establish this righteousness for yourself, that you have to live by them. It doesn't go away. There isn't a point in which you have done all that you could according to the law, and then the test is over, as they say, and now you have qualified or not qualified, it will be you need to continue to live in that all of your days, a complete life of righteousness according to the law. We're reminded in James chapter 2 and verse 10 for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. This is with the idea that the law itself establishes, like the whole of the law, establishes a singular thing, which is God's righteousness. So if at any point you have uh, gone against one of those facets of it, you have gone against the righteousness of God and therefore are declared guilty of breaking the whole law. I think of the rich young, lo- uh, rich young ruler and he came and he said, what must I do that I might inherit eternal life? So the Lord goes through this list uh, of everything. He said, well, all of those things I've kept from my youth. And he said, okay, go and sell all your possessions. And he went away grieved. We don't know what happened to him after that, but he went away grieved. And what seemed to be indicative of is you think you've done all of these things, and yet the Lord was able to pierce his heart to the reality of the one thing that he didn't do, which is he was coveting. He was holding on to things for himself and not giving over. And that was the reality that once you've broken one point of the law, you're guilty. You might not be guilty of everything in the law, but you are guilty of breaking the law, law, and therefore need the Savior. So then he goes there. So that's from Leviticus 18, that first quote, the man who does those things shall live by them. So then he goes on to say, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So this is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 14, which I want to read. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. Now this is declaring, this is in the book of Deuteronomy, so this was the second giving of the law. The law had already been given to the children of Israel and they had it in front of them. And as Moses is recounting this, he said, this commandment is not something that you need to go up to heaven to get because it's already come down from heaven. God spoke the commandment, gave the law to Moses to pass on to the people, it's already come down. Nor do you need to, as Deuteronomy says, says go to a place far from the sea, over the sea, in order to go get it. In other words, God's expectations have already been made clear to you. It's come down from heaven already. You don't need to go and find it to figure out what you need to do, but it is already with you. It is near you. It is in your mouth, and it is in your heart, and these things are there for you. This is the righteousness of the law, that he has given it to him, but the end conclusion is that very part that you have to pay attention to, that you may do it. That's the righteousness according to the law that the children of Israel were still striving for, that it's come down. I didn't have to go find it. God's given it to us, but it's so that I may do it not live in happy freedom of what the Lord Jesus Christ himself had done. So now going back to our passage, in uh, Romans chapter 10, he's drawing this comparison of the Lord Jesus Christ himself coming down and the Lord Jesus Christ himself coming up out of the grave. That there is this recognition that God himself, it's no longer just that God's word had come down to be communicated to all of mankind through his law, but God himself had come down. The first declaration here about coming from heaven is that God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ is God and he came from heaven. Hebrews chapter one says, God who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. By his son, the very revelation of God and of heaven is finalized and perfected through Jesus Christ in the coming down. So he's correlating this to you didn't to the Old Testament and the Jews, where they got the word of God from heaven. Now you've got the word of God from heaven, right? There was the law of God that came from heaven in the Old Testament to the Jews. And now the word himself was made manifest and dwelt among us. He came down, God in the flesh. And then it talks about do not to descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, You don't need to do that, why? Because Christ was risen from the dead, which is the evidentiary satisfaction of God's wrath and his acceptance of the sacrifice that was given. You don't need to go down to bring Christ back up. Christ arose from the dead. And this was the thing that gave proof that he was who he was. And he accomplished what he was supposed to accomplish. So you see, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, the creator of all things, came down from heaven, and he went into the abyss, into the ground, but then he came out again, and he accomplished all. God is who Jesus Christ is and what he did to give us life. And then he concludes this with the word of faith that you... Oh, sorry. That is the word of faith which we preach. So, similarly to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 30, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith. Not the word of the law. Not the righteousness of the law. But the righteousness which is of faith. Which leads us to our last section. Faith exercised. So it's interesting to me in Deuteronomy chapter 30, which he quoted that this word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. And of course, Paul there in verse 8 is equating that same thing, that word that we preach to you, the word of faith is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. So then he immediately goes to verse 9. If you confess with your mouth and you excuse me if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved. Confess confession the recognition that Jesus Christ is God and that he came down. This is in the order of which this happened chronologically. Jesus Christ came down from heaven, declared himself, and showed himself to be God who came down. Confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. So it's near you, it's in you, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart, and this is exactly where Paul goes to, that God has raised him from the dead. So verse 10. It goes on, and now it goes in reverse order. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the the heart one believes unto righteousness. You believe that God raised him from the dead, that God in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, came down, went to the cross to bear our sins upon himself, was taken down from the cross, and he went to the grave. At that time, the children of Israel, yea, even the disciples, thought that that was the end of it all. And yet he rose victoriously, and he declared himself, showed himself to be the God of heaven you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he rose from the dead as the satisfactory payment for your sins, and you will be declared right before God, justified, declared right in a right position with God simply by believing that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, who he said he is, and that his work was satisfactorily completed on the cross for the heart one believes to righteousness or to justification. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians chapter 2, Paul is reminding them He's saying that uh, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord the natural inclination for those that have been saved that have trusted in Christ and the Spirit of God has now come to indwell in you is to declare him Lord and that's with the hope that this one who raised from the dead and went home to be with the father again is going to receive us unto himself and that is the fulfillment of the salvation with the mouth confession is made unto salvation in verse 11, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So this comes back to that closing verse from chapter 9. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You know, in this life, on this side of eternity, sometimes we might be shamed. We might feel shamed to declare the righteousness of God, to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you guys find that difficult sometimes, like in work situations or maybe even within a family environment that you might be in, to confidently stand and say Jesus Christ is Lord without backing down. But the promise is to us that this has all been done by him. And you will not be put to shame. Why? Because he will confess you before the Father. In first, Second Timothy, excuse me, this is a faithful saying, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. This idea that for us to be a, a declaration of him in this life on this earth now. Now we may be put to shame sometimes in this earth because the world might look at us and they think we're just goofy but when we're standing before God, there will be no shame. What right do you have to come into my heaven? I have none by myself. The only right I have to be able to enter into your presence, to be able to come and enjoy you for all eternity is because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for me. And by that testimony, you will not be put to shame. You will be received in by God to dwell with him for all eternity. And this is the promise that's been given to us. This is the promise that's been declared for this entire world to be able to, to be saved and to come into that relationship. I like verse 12. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Of course, this goes back to uh, chapter 9 and verse 23, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. So no distinction between Jew and Greek. Why? Because it's the same Lord. The same Lord. So if it's the same Lord, then it's the same everybody else the divine being, and the human beings. doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. The same promise is given to us that we can come into this eternal relationship. And then he concludes with this last verse, verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. A promise that's fulfilled. It's already been done by the work of Jesus Christ. Perhaps there's somebody here this morning that hasn't yet trusted in Christ. Something is holding you back from the reality. Maybe you, maybe you think like the Jewish people were thinking at that time, which is there's something that they could do to be able to, to inherit eternal life, that they can declare themselves to be right before a holy and righteous God. Perhaps you just don't even want to enter into the reality of his righteousness. And you'd rather just live according to the flesh and just satisfy yourself and all that this world would have to offer you. If you don't put your faith and trust in Christ, you will spend your eternity apart from him. But there is nobody that's too far away from these promises. These promises are made to everybody that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved a promise that we can hold on to, a promise that everybody can hold on to. If you haven't trusted in Christ, we pray that you would understand the reality of your sin and separation from God, but the offer of hope and salvation in and through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in summary conclusion, the declaration that God is righteous, that it's based on his righteousness, the children of Israel still striving, pursuing, uh, that they would, um, I actually thought I hid that slide, so I wasn't planning on showing it, but it's all good, it's okay. Uh, just, just threw me off for a quick second. Um, that they were pursuing after righteousness for themselves Uh, not recognizing that they couldn't put on any measure of righteousness, but the only way to ever obtain righteousness was for God to give it to you. God had to give it to you. The only way by which God can give you his righteousness is through him. You can show the slide. It's okay. It's already there now. I'm going to say those things, so it's not going to take away from it. Uh, The only way to be able to do that To obtain the righteousness of God is for him to give it to you, which is by faith, whosoever believes. So God's righteousness in Christ is the end of the law. Again, his law doesn't go away in terms of declaration of his righteousness, but the law goes away in terms of our ability to do anything to obtain righteousness. The righteousness of faith that righteousness comes by faith alone in Christ alone and Christ is our righteousness so since he is the righteousness he is God's righteousness he becomes our righteousness by putting our faith and trust in the one who knew no sin became sin for us uh, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him 2nd Corinthians and then lastly faith exercise we see this there Christ is is our salvation if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead if you've confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ you shall be saved the wonderful truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ if there's anybody here who's yet to trust in Christ don't delay don't wait for something else the offer is here for you today For those of us who have trusted in Christ, letting these truths and reality help us to walk in a way that would be honoring and faithful to God. He's given us his righteousness. Now let's walk according to his righteousness. Let's pray. Our Father, we want to once again just thank you uh, for the wonderful gift of salvation. We want to thank you that it is all because of the work of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. All we can do is receive this gift of righteousness, this gift of salvation, simply by believing that Jesus Christ the Lord came down from heaven, went to the cross, and died for our sins, that we deserve to be separated from you. Father, we thank you for this truth that we simply need to believe this and confess the Lord Jesus to be saved, to know an eternal rest with you, Father, if there's anybody here who is yet to have trusted in Christ, we pray that you by your spirit would work in their heart, bringing them to an understanding of these things so that they can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Father, for those of us who have, we pray that you would help us to wear your righteousness, that we would walk according to the righteousness, not by the power of our own flesh or strength, but simply by the power of the spirit of God who indwells. So, Father, we commit these things to you and give you thanks. In the Lord Jesus' name, amen.